Well, hey there. It's good to see you. Happy Fourth of July weekend. All right. <laughs> glad you're, I'm glad you're here. I'll just say this. Thanks for choosing to be with us, worshiping with us today. If you're watching online, thanks for choosing to worship with us as well. I'm glad that you're here. Um, this summer, we've been going through a series called Unstuck. And the basic idea of it is this, that all of us face challenges in life. There's just certain things that all of us um, face, certain challenges that we, we run up against. And when we hit those challenges, what happens so often for us is we feel stuck. We don't know which way to go. We feel like we're in a pit. And so this summer, we've just been looking at a number of challenges that we face and looking at how Jesus comes alongside of people in the Bible who are facing similar challenges that we face. And when Jesus comes alongside of those people, what's so wonderful is we see that he wants to offer help and hope in the midst of those challenges. And it's so encouraging for us to hear as well because Jesus also wants to offer us help and hope in the midst of our challenges and when we find ourselves feeling stuck. And so we've been looking at a number of challenges, a different one every week, and today we're going to be looking at the challenge of inadequacy. The challenge of inadequacy, which is a common challenge, right? All of us at some point have felt inadequate in our lives. Maybe you've been put in a work position where you feel like you're in over your head and you just feel very inadequate to um, do the job that you've been called to do. And yet there's a high expectation either by yourself or by others that you do it without failing. There's this sense of inadequacy that you can feel in those moments. Some of you have felt inadequate in relationships, knowing how to navigate um, relationships, whether that's through conflict or even through just differences of, of perspectives. How do we navigate that? You feel inadequate. Some of you know what it's like to feel inadequate as a parent, not knowing how to navigate certain years or times or seasons or moments with your children. Many of you know what it's like to feel inadequate in a marriage circumstance, when, how do I care for and love my spouse? How do I do that well in the midst of the circumstances that you're in or just in terms of personalities and how that works out? Some of you know what it's like to feel inadequate in a crisis when things start happening and you're just like, I don't know what to do. This is overwhelming and I don't know how to solve these problems. You feel inadequate. We feel inadequate in lots of ways in a life and it happens in spiritual realm too. Some of you know what it's like to be in a spiritual environment and you feel very inadequate as well. Perhaps you know what it's like to be in a position where someone asks you a question about God or your faith and all of a sudden you feel very inadequate in terms of how to respond to the question that someone is asking. Have you ever been there before? You ever been in a position where you've been asked to serve or to give or to be a part of maybe a ministry in a church or some service aspect in the community and the need is so overwhelming and the resources so limited, you just feel inadequate or you feel under-equipped and you feel inadequate. We feel inadequate in lots of different ways, in lots of different arenas. But what we want to look at today is how Jesus comes alongside of the disciples who if you think about the disciples, they felt inadequate all of the time. They felt and they bumped up to inadequacy regularly in their life. See, and yet Jesus kept pushing them, pushing them outside of their comfort zone. He kept pushing them in environments where they faced that and feel, felt that. 
And we see that even early on in the disciples' you know, experience with Jesus. Very early on, we, we see and feel some of their inadequacies. And in some ways, we, we can look at them and we think, oh, it's kind of, kind of maybe humorous because you see them kind of flailing and failing. But at the same time, we recognize, oh, I can relate to that because so often in life, I find myself flailing and failing trying to figure things out because I feel inadequate. In fact, the disciples, very, at the very beginning, when Jesus first met the disciples— you may remember the story, Jesus, or like when he was selecting his disciples, let me say that, with Peter and Andrew, James and John, they were fishermen, and he comes to them, and he says this in Matthew 4, he says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, this is a really fascinating statement, and, and he, Jesus is simply saying, okay, guys, listen, I want you to follow me. And guess what? I'm going to help you fish for people. Now, that's kind of a strange statement in and of itself. Maybe you grew up with the, you know, the, we're going to make you fishers of men statement. That's what this is. He's going to make you fishers of men. And that's an interesting statement. But the interesting part about this as well is that they are fishermen. And Jesus makes this statement after they've been up all night fishing. And guess what they caught? Nothing. <laughs> so he's coming to a bunch of fishermen saying, I'm going to help you fish for people. And they're thinking to themselves, we can't even catch fish. How are we going to catch people? So I, they feel inadequate already. And you see this come up where they bump up against inadequacy over and over again. They are sailors. And yet Jesus says so many different times, okay, get in the boat and go on the other side of the, of, of the lake. And what happens? They hit a storm. They feel entirely inadequate. And they're like, we've been on the sea a long time. We just don't know how to deal with it. Jesus, with a word, can calm the storm. So he's powerful. They feel very inadequate. They bump into it again. A little later, Jesus, um, you know, they watch Jesus heal people and, and, and cast out evil spirits. And a man comes to the disciples and they say, will you, will you help, will you cast out this evil spirit for my son who's causing my son to go into violent seizures? The disciples can't do it. And they're probably in that moment feeling very embarrassed, feeling very inadequate, and feeling very confused. See, they bump up into it over and over and over again. And yet Jesus keeps pushing them into these environments and these tension points because he wants them to learn something in the midst of their inadequacy as well. Later in John, right before Jesus is going to be crucified, he kind of gives a vision talk to his disciples. And this is what he says in John chapter 14, verse 12. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Now, the disciples are thinking to themselves, okay, we've watched Jesus heal people. We've watched Jesus cast out evil spirits. We've watched Jesus do all these miracles, and we're going to do greater things than these? I don't think so. That's what they're thinking in that moment. That's what I would be thinking. They're thinking, well, how is that possible? And yet Jesus keeps coming alongside them and he keeps putting them in these environments where they feel uh, there's, there's just these tension points where their inadequacy crops up. But in that, Jesus wants to teach them something that's so valuable. He, the time period that Jesus has with the disciples is short, but he wants to prepare them ultimately for what the work that he wants them to do. And he needs them to understand something about their inadequacy matched up with God's adequacy in order for them to do what God is calling them to do. And there's a powerful lesson there for them and for us. And one of the best examples, maybe the, one of the most well-known examples, is the story where Jesus is with the disciples and he feeds the 5,000. 
If you've been around a church for a while, it's, it's likely that you've heard this story of the feeding of the 5,000. That's what we're going to look at today. And this is an interesting story, and it's, what makes it interesting is that this is the only miracle in the Bible that, um, uh, sorry, in the gospel accounts that all four gospel writers record. The only one that all four of them, uh, Matthew, James, uh, sorry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them record this one. And the question is, well, how come this one, none of them said we're not going to keep it out of our account. They all want to write about it. The question is, what is so significant about it? And what we're going to do today is look at why it's so significant, why it's so memorable, what lesson that they needed to learn that we also need to learn as it, re- as it relates to the challenge of inadequacy that they felt, but also that we feel as well. And so what I want to do is I want to look at the story with you. It's found in Mark chapter 6, this account. Mark's account is found in Mark chapter 6. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. Hopefully receive a handout on your way in here today. It has the passage printed for, with, for you. You can follow along with us. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to read the story so you can feel it and see it and hear it, and then we'll go back and we'll look at it verse by verse. So I'd like to invite you to please stand. Um, I'm going to read the passage while we stand, um, and then we'll come back and we'll take a look. But let's read that Mark chapter 6, beginning of verse 30, all the way to verse 44. It says this, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. So this story begins with the disciples, and this verse, first verse gives a little bit of the context. Let me read it for you. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. So this verse helps kind of set the scene, what's going on here. It says that all the, all the apostles were coming back to report to Jesus what they, had, what they had taught and what they had done. And the reason for this is because just prior to this, earlier in the chapter, we see that Jesus had sent them out on their first missionary trip. He had sent them out two by two to go and teach 
and to and heal people and to cast out evil spirits. And so he was doing the work of the, of the ministry of Jesus. He had sent them out the first time. Now they're all coming back and they're wanting to tell Jesus about it. They're spiritually they're on a spiritual high. They're emotionally charged after a great experience. And so they want to do what we would want to do after an experience like that. They want to share it with one another. So they want to share it with their friends. And more importantly, they want to share it with Jesus. And so they're coming back. That's what's going on in this, in, this, uh, in this scene. Then, verse 31. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come, away, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So apparently, the apostles, the disciples, when they went out and they started telling people about Jesus, the word really had spread. The buzz about Jesus was spreading People wanted to hear. People wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to maybe be healed by Jesus or see him do a miracle. They wanted to hear what he had to say. So crowds of people were gathering. They wanted to be with Jesus, see Jesus, hear Jesus. And because of the crowds, the disciples who wanted to also be with Jesus got crowded out. And because all the people were going, coming and going, they didn't even have a chance, it says, to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but when I don't have a chance to eat, it's not a good thing for me or for the people around me, okay? And that's kind of what, you just have to feel this. They, they're excited. They want to be with Jesus, but the crowd is coming. They don't even get a chance to get a meal, so they're hungry. And, and so Jesus says something that's amazing in this verse. He says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Man, doesn't that sound nice? Jesus says, hey, let's go on a little retreat, a quiet place, just us together. We'll get some rest We'll get some food. Sounds so good, doesn't it? Then look what happens in the next verse. It says this. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, they didn't have a getaway car at this time, so they got a getaway boat. And the crowds are there. It's like, how do we get away from the people and find a quiet place? Let's get in the boat. Let's row, row over to the other side of the shore to a, to a remote place. That will be our spiritual retreat. Sounds great. They're rowing fast. They want to get there. And so it sounds all good. But then verse 33, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So the people were like, whoa, hey, they're going somewhere. The word spreads. They run around (laughs) around the lake and they beat them to the place that they're going, this remote place, this retreat area, they beat them there. And so then, of course, I don't know about how you'd be feeling, but I would be um, a little frustrated at this moment. But this is, uh, this is what's, what they do. They get there ahead of them. Then, when, notice Jesus' response, though. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he got so upset and he pushed them all away. It doesn't say that, does it? That's probably what you and I would be doing, by the way. But Jesus doesn't do that. He saw the crowd, and what does it say? It says, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus doesn't scold them. Jesus doesn't send them away. He says, it says he had compassion on them. He welcomed them. He cared for them. He started teaching them. And I just think this is so incredible because our response would be so different. Our response would be, hey, shop's closed. You know, it's business hours are done and we're on a retreat. So vacation time, adios, you know, get, get out of here. That's what I'd be doing or get back in the boat. Let's go to another remote place because this isn't working. That's how I'd be feeling. But Jesus sees them. He has compassion on them and he engages with them. And so just for a moment, just soak that in. That's who Jesus is. 
that's his heart. That's his heart for you. You're never going to be a bother to him. You're never going to come to a point where he's going to say like, hey, I don't have time for you. Jesus has time for people. He cares for you. He's compassionate. He's loving. He wants to meet your needs. And those who are hungry, who are seeking, it says in the Bible, you seek him and you'll find him. This is what Jesus and who he is and what he's all about. We have much to learn. It's powerful. Then verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. And so it says it's late in the day, and the disciples come to him. So the disciples um, are watching the clock, aren't they? And they, they're recognizing Jesus clearly is not watching the clock right now. He's not looking at his watch, and so we've got to help him recognize that it's getting late in the day. We're in a remote place. We need to send these people away. Um, and it's already, and it's already late. No, why does he want to, why do they want to send them away? Verse 36 says this, send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. So they're in a remote place. So there's not like Burger King, McDonald's nearby. They have to go to the villages, um, and travel to get to the places where they could get food and, and, and be cared for. Now the disciples are also thinking not just about the people. Who do you think they're thinking about? themselves. I would too. We don't blame them, right? They're hungry. They're wanting some food. No, there's no judgment in a certain sense from our side of things because we recognize, okay, what they're saying does make sense. They're saying, Jesus, here's what we want you to do. Send them away. But Jesus asked them to do something. Look what he says in the following verse. He says, but he answered, you give them something to eat. Now, this was not the response they were expecting. They're saying, hey, send them away Jesus, so they can eat. Jesus is saying, nope, you give them something to eat. You ever been in that spot where you're like, Jesus, here's what I think you should do. Or here's what I think would happen. Jesus stops and says, nope, I've got a different plan. Here's what I want to happen. And when you stop and look at it, you're overwhelmed. You're in it. You feel very inadequate because it seems impossible, Right? The people, the, the disciples are looking at the crowd and it says 5,000 men. And some people say when you count all the women, children, everything, it could be up to 20,000 people were there. And so that's a lot of people. And they're, they're thinking to themselves, that's impossible. You're saying feed them? Uh-uh. There's not enough food. There's not enough resources. That is impossible for us to do it. We can't do this. But I think it's so amazing about Jesus here is that he invites us to do to be a part of the solution to problems. He invites us to be a part of meeting the needs of people. Of course, Jesus is God. He could do anything he wants to, but he says, no, you help. You be a part of the, part of the solution. And I love this about Jesus. Jesus, so different um, as a, a person who's you know, growing in popularity, people are clamoring around him, but he does the opposite of the celebrity mindset. Instead of saying, hey, I, I want to be in the center of attention, Jesus says, no, no, I want to select disciples. I want to invest in my disciples. I want to equip them. I want to empower them. I want them to be a part of the work of the ministry, building the kingdom of God. He involves them. He, he develops them. It's a powerful thing. And I think it's such a great model for us. Sometimes we think to ourselves, if I start giving things away or delegating or training others, then I'll feel inadequate because I won't have anything to do. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. You're trying to help people. 
You're trying to help develop them, disciple them, multiply. That's what he, he does. And it's a really powerful, powerful thing. He says, you give them something to eat. They come up with a really great response that is reasonable in, in terms of their argument. Look what they say. They say in verse 37, they said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So when Jesus says, you go feed them, you know, they were calculating real fast, like, okay, okay, real quick, doing the math. Jesus, this would take up a half year salary. We can't do it. It's impossible. We don't have the resources. It doesn't make sense. And their argument is reasonable in a sense, right? It does. They're, They're inadequate. They don't have what it takes to make this happen. Then verse, the continuing in verse 38 says, How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five loaves, five and two fish. So Jesus, it's interesting here. He doesn't let them off the hook. They come up with a really great argument. We don't have the resources. But Jesus doesn't let them off the hook. Oh, yeah, fine, sure. We don't have it. We just kind of go away. No, Jesus is like, nope. Bring me what you got. Go find out how much you have and bring that to me. And it's interesting here because, like I said, all four gospel writers talk about this this story. This is a memorable miracle for each and every one of them. And John talks about it in his account, and he says Jesus did this to test them. He did it to test them. And the reason why he did it to test them is because Jesus knows this is impossible. Jesus knows that they're not up for the task. This is it. They're, they're in over their heads. They don't have what it takes to pull this off. He knows that, but he does it to test them and to test their faith. Would they trust him? And he simply says, bring to me what you got. Bring to me what you got. What they find, and we, we know this also from John's account, that Andrew speaks up and he says, well, there's this kid who's here, and he maybe overheard what was going on, and he's offered up his lunch. So we've got five loaves and two sardines. That's what we have to serve today. And Jesus says, great, bring it to me. Bring it to me. He says, okay, I want you to bring that little lunch, that brown brown paper bag, the sack lunch, bring it to me. And again, what is amazing about this is that Jesus knows, hey, there's thousands of people. Here's what I want you to bring. Bring what you got. Bring what you have. Now talk about inadequate. Would this be adequate of a meal to feed thousands of people? No. But Jesus says, bring me what you got and then and trust me. And I think this is an important thing for us to hear too because there's moments in our lives we feel inadequate. We feel overwhelmed by the needs of our, maybe our family, our friendship with our kids, with our coworkers, in, in our community, in the world. We can feel so overwhelmed by it that we shrink back. We step back and we say, we can't, we're stuck, we can't move forward, it's impossible. But what we need to hear Jesus in, this, in this, this story say, which is so important, he says, well, bring me what you got. Not, there's nothing, there's no way, it's impossible. Jesus, again, hear, hear it, the invitation. Show me what you got. And even if this is all you got, you bring it. Jesus is simply saying, bring me what you got in your work environment, in your family, with your kids, with your, in this community. Bring me what you got. Start with that. Bring me what you got. That's what he says. And it's a powerful thing. 
that Jesus invites them to bring this, bring what they have. And it says, well, we've got five loaves and two fish. Then notice what happens next. Then Jesus directed them uh, to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And I love this Mark's detail here. This is, again, a memorable moment, a memorable miracle. He's even noted, remembers the green grass that they had the people sit down in, in groups. What were the groups about? In verse 40, it says this. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. So he sat, they sat them all down. Then verse 41 taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. This is, just stop there for a moment. This is really interesting to me that they brought to him what they had. Then Jesus, he stops and he gives thanks for the meal. Just think about that for a moment. I don't know if, if, you, if you're a disciple, or if you're around him, the whole time you're watching Jesus with these five loaves and two little sardines and you're thinking to yourself, he is praying for the meal. He's praying for the meal for thousands of people. And I, I think I'd have a hard time paying attention in that moment. And I was trying to think about, like, a, what would it look like for us? Like, if this morning I said to you, guess what, congregation? A, a little boy in our, in our congregation this last hour said that, you know, he'd, he'd like to share um, a, a donut hole that he has and a juice box. And so we're going to have a fellowship time after the service in the lobby. We're going to enjoy a meal. We're going to enjoy some food and this time of hanging out and with this donut hole and this juice box. And so let me just, let's stop and pray and thank God for this meal we're about to enjoy. You guys will be thinking to yourself, wait, 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 what? I mean, when are the food trucks coming, right? That's what you're thinking. Um, But that's not the case. The food trucks aren't coming. Jesus is stopping to pray. The disciples are going, what's going on? Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them. Now, what we know is that there is a multiplication miracle that's going on here. We don't understand because Mark doesn't go into detail about the multiplication process of Jesus handing to disciples and them handing to other people. But we do see God's provision. Look at the following verse with me. It says this, they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. All the people had food. Now, it truly is a miracle. Something remarkable takes place. But what I, what I love about this passage is the lesson that it has for the disciples. Because they're thinking this is impossible. We're inadequate. So what do they do? They do the only thing they know how to do. And you know what that is? Trust Jesus to do his thing. That's all they can do. All they know how to do is to trust Jesus that he knows what he's doing. And I love their faith in the midst of how tired they are, in the midst of their, maybe their struggling attitudes, in the midst of how starving they are themselves. They follow Jesus. They step forward in faith, even when they don't understand the whole thing. They truly walk by faith. And walking by faith, when you feel inadequate, you know what it means? It means when God is nudging you to do something, you know he's nudging you to do something, but you're thinking to yourself, there is no way that it's possible and I don't know how it's all going to work out and in the myth, and I'm fully inadequate, in the midst of all of that, you still step forward. That's what walking in faith is. That's what stepping forward in faith is, walking in faith. They don't know how it's all going to work. They just say, okay, we're going to get people in groups. They go out in the midst of the grass and they're thinking to themselves, well, we hope we don't look like fools at the end of all this because th- we don't know how this is going to happen, but they do what they can do. You know what that is? They trust Jesus that he's going to provide. And in the process, 
God does, God does provide. There's this incredible miracle that takes place. All of them ate and were satisfied. Then verse 43, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So at the end of this time, the disciples gather up 12 basketfuls of, of leftovers. How many disciples are there? 12. How many basketfuls are left over? 12. Why do you think that is? <laughs> is it an accident? I don't think so. I think Jesus is saying, listen, guys, you trust me. You, 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 give, you give yourself to the need, meeting the needs of other people and trust me, put your faith in me. Guess what? I also know how to not only meet your personal needs as well and some. Here's a basket full. You're hungry? Here you go. I think there's something there. There's this concept of it's more blessed to give, to receive, but at the same time, Jesus is saying, but I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. I've got you. And that's what, that's what I think is so beautiful about this. Now, in the midst of this miracle... The question still remains is, why is it so memorable? What's so important about it? What are the principles that we can pull from it that we can learn too when we face the challenge of inadequacy? So I want to give you two principles that I think are really helpful. The first one is this. There's, uh, faith. These are faith principles for inadequate followers. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you feel inadequate at times, here's a couple of principles that would be helpful for you from this passage. The first one is this, that Jesus wants to use you to meet the needs of others. Jesus wants to use you to meet the needs of other people. I think this is so powerful. Jesus could have done the miracle of himself. And the moment they're like, Jesus, we don't have the resources. It would take a half year's wages. Jesus could have said, fine, I'll just do it myself. But he doesn't. He invites them to be a part of the solution to meet the needs of people. And in the same way, Jesus is inviting you to be a part of the solution to meet the needs of people that only you can meet. The people in your environment, the people around you, the people in your home, the people in your workplace, the people in your neighborhood, people in this community. God wants to use you. And it's, and it's, it's possible that we could say to ourselves, well, let them feed themselves. Let them take care of themselves or let's let, let the government do it. Let's let the church do it. Let someone else do it. But Jesus is saying to you, no, I want you to disciple your kids. I want you to be involved in your church. I want you to be involved in caring for people in your family, in your community. He's inviting you. He wants you to meet the needs of others. And it's a beautiful invitation, but we can feel pretty inadequate in those moments. But he just know this, God's method is people. He uses people to help meet the needs of other people. Most of you are here, all of you are here, because someone stepped forward to care for you, to pray for you, to reach out to you, to spend time with you, to share their life with you, to share the good news about Jesus with you. You're here because someone reached out to you. God's method is people. And so just for you to stop and say, well, maybe God could use me. Yes, he can and wants to use you in the lives of people around you. And it's not some, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Now, again, if you're saying, well, I just don't know if I have what it takes. I feel pretty inadequate. I don't feel equipped. Great, now you're feeling what the second principle is about, which is so helpful. The second one is this. Jesus is able to take what little we bring and multiply it. Jesus is able to take what little we bring and multiply it. You know that your, your, your heart breaks for certain things in this, in this world or in, your, in, your, in our church or in this, this community. Your heart breaks for it and you're saying, man, it's just so overwhelming. I don't know what to do. Just, Jesus says, okay, show up with your brown bag. 
What do you have? Bring it. Bring what you have to me and then allow me to do what only I can do, which is multiply it. You understand that? Jesus is simply saying, yep, I know you're inadequate. I know it's an overwhelming task. I know you don't feel like you have what it takes or the resources it is to change or to work or to make, make an impact. But Jesus isn't letting you off the hook just like he doesn't let the disciples off the hook. He says, so bring me what you got. Show up with what you have and allow me to multiply it. It's a beautiful invitation. It's a beautiful promise to follow him in faith. Say, God, here's what I've got. Five loaves, two fish, not much. But I trust you can do what only you can do. That's what he's inviting you to be a part of. Now, I'd love to share stories of how that, I've seen that take place in my life. Where, and the, many of you have had that experience where you're like, okay, I stepped forward in faith. I didn't know what it was like. didn't know what was gonna happen. And, and I trusted God. I was inadequate. And all of a sudden, God began to work. And now on the other side of things, you can look back and say, wow, God, look what you did. You, you, maybe you've had those moments or you've heard other stories of those moments. What I'd like to do is just give a picture, uh, paint a picture of a person, uh, people in our church who have had that experience because I think it's an encouragement to you. It's an, certainly encouragement to me. And it's a, a couple that many of you may already know, Jeff and Carla Pasisi. Um, and they have been a part of a ministry called Rahema for Kids. And if you're new to the church and don't know about it, it's just it's a ministry that's, that takes place over in Kenya. And it really started 15 years ago when Carla and Jeff um, and another couple were there in Kenya uh, looking for how God could use them. And at the t- in their time in Kenya, while they were in a, in a certain village, um, a child was found abandoned in a cornfield. That child was brought to the, to the village. No one wanted to care for it. It landed in Jeff, this little baby landed in Jeff and Carla's lap. And all of a sudden they said, well, there's a need. Maybe we can do something to meet that need. And a ministry began. And it didn't begin because they had it all planned out, all mapped out, all the resources and felt fully adequate. They just simply said, there's a need and we're here. God, what could we do? Now, 15 years later, God's done a remarkable work and is still doing a remarkable work. What I want to do is just allow you to see a video that gives a little bit of the history but also paints a picture of where that ministry is at now. Go ahead and take a look. I'm wow. I'm inspired. I'm protected. When I grow up, I want to be a counselor. I would like to be a lecturer or a psychoeducation counselor. Yeah, my dreams are being an engineer. If it were not for INSTEP, my life would be ruined, shattered, and not that good. So I really appreciate for being here. INSTEP Foundation started in 2006 in July when we got our first baby, and that was Rahema. And uh, she was found in a cornfield. Uh, some girls were passing uh, a shortcut through maize and found a baby covered with a cloth and they recognized that she had been newly born and so they took her to the village and according to the story we heard uh, the villagers wouldn't want anything to do with her because she felt she was a curse so after rehema and james and jessica came we just kind of looked at each other and said "Hmm, looks like god's starting the children's home and so yeah that's how that happened 
I grow up, I want to be a teacher who teaches and loves children. And because Jesus said, let the little children come to me because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So the words were so powerful that touched my heart that I didn't only want to be a teacher but also a mother who cares for little children. My favorite part about being here, specifically at INSEPT, is the knowledge of knowing Mama Kai and Baba Jeff, they're going to take me through every height of education as long as I just strive and reach out for it. Our mission is to rescue abused and abandoned children in Kenya and give them new life. Um, our vision is that all kids under our care will rise to their full God-given potential. We do try to give our kids whatever life skills they can acquire here. They work in the farm, so they learn how to farm, they work at the dairy, they work in the kitchen and learn how to cook, help feed the kids up at Stepping Stones, which is our center for disabled kids. So we feel that that is giving them a, a love and respect for um, disabled people. They help take care of the babies, they help clean. Um, so we feel confident that when they leave here, they will know how to take care of themselves. Um, as far as their future, we have a primary school. Our primary school is up to class eight, and then they go away to high school, um, which is also part of our strategy, that they can go to boarding schools for high school, um, which will start giving them some transition um, out of the children's home and into the real world. Since I come here, my life has been transformed because here I have all things that I need and I have people around me who love me and I have better education, I have better basic needs. The growth of the kids is paramount. Mm -hmm. Obviously having a good staff all the way from our home manager down is paramount in that, you know, having pastor here, um, trying to raise, making sure that we're raising Kenyans, um, but raising, again, just like anybody in the world, we just want to raise decent human beings. So for the people who have supported me since I was a young baby, I would like to thank them. My great blessings goes to them, praying that God helps them, God will help them, protect them and their family and that I really love them, and I will never forget them in my life. Well, it just so happens that we have Carla here with us this weekend. And this really was kind of a, a fun connection because I had planned on talking about Rahima part of this talk um, because I just think it's a great story and it's, and it's so deeply connected to the roots of South Hills Church. And then when I found out that Carla was here in town and available, I'm like, well, why don't you come and talk with us? Why don't you come and share too? So perfect. And thank you for being here. And thanks for thank ministry. You. I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, we talked about just that sense of it started from, you know, this ministry started 15 years ago with one baby that was brought. And now where we're at now, if you could just give a little picture of sure. where it's gone and how God's used it. Yeah. So now we have um, 202 children presently. Um, and... 
we, we had actually got up to 209, but um, we were able to reunite a few with, with family and adopt out a few of the babies and, and whatnot. So um, we're presently at 202. Um, 27 of those kids, including Rehema, are in high school. And um, we have one in culinary school trying to transition out of the home into the world. Um, we were blessed this year with a Rotary International grant, which brought 100 laptops to our school and a learning curriculum, classroom in a box, they call it. Um, so now our school is like this cutting edge, you know, they've got computers. And, and so um, we are inviting now the, the neighborhood kids to join our school and they're coming in droves um, and so and that in itself is an honor to yeah. be able to help not only our kids but our community That's you awesome. know we have 74 employees um, which is also a blessing because it, we're the biggest employ, employer uh -huh. in the area so um, yeah we're operating a dairy which provides the 50 liters or so of milk that we need and then we sell the excess to our employees at a very reduced rate um so yeah it's just uh it's grown yeah yeah <laughs> and did you ever imagine that you know thinking about reflecting on this passage and just this concept of we just bring to god what little we have and allow him to multiply it as you reflect on the passage or you think about the story of rahima of the ministry tell us, yeah, tell us what your I thoughts mean, are you know we we really we really believed that we <laughs> knew god was calling us and i mean it's not like we didn't have anything to do i mean jeff had a job in the area and i was working in the church and doing daycare and blah 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 so um we weren't really looking for something to do but when God called us, we knew. And by the way, <laughs> just a reflection on uh, Scott's message today. When you get a calling, I don't care what it is, you get a calling that you feel inadequate, and you start going and sharing with your friends and family, asking for prayer, you know, and these people you know, they love you. They want what's best for you. They want to see you serving God. They will confirm to you that you are inadequate. <laughs> they will, because they know you are. You are inadequate. You can't do that. What about health insurance? What about retirement? What, are, what about your kids? You know? And um, let me tell you, when God calls you, it's got to be you and him because the people that are going to advise you and whatnot, they know you're inadequate because you are. And so um, that was just, that's kind of what I took from, from your message. That's yeah. great. Um, and one of the cool things I think too is when we step out in faith and trust him with that, that nudge and they say, I'm going to trust you, Jesus. What happens is he also not only does a work, but he grows our own faith, right? Exactly. And we've, mm -hmm. how, how is it, how has God kind of just also help you develop a, yeah. just your, a growing faith through this well, experience? Throughout the years, whenever there's a new need, like 
when we first got the property that we're on now, um, it, we didn't have a source of water. And we dug a shallow well, which is very common there. You know, there's people who that's actually their job is to go down with these little shovels and, and dig until they find water. And then they take cement and kind of turn it into a well. And so that was our water source. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't enough. It didn't produce enough water. And so it's like, God, what are we going to do? I mean, you have to have water, right? And then um, God provided, I won't give the long story, but he provided us a borehole of water, mm-hmm. which we couldn't afford. Mm-hmm. It was $15,000 to drill this borehole, but God provided it. And then as the years have gone on, God, what are we going to do about a school? We can't send all these kids over to the neighborhood school there. What's, it, what's that going to look like? You know, we go to this neighborhood school and say, hey, we have 75 students for you. You, you can do that. <laughs> That's and, a big family. <laughs> yeah. And God provided our school. Yeah. He just provided donors who that's what their heart is. Mm-hmm. You know, let us build your classrooms. Let us pay for your teacher's salaries. And over the years, it's just been one thing after another, after another, after another that we don't know how God's going to provide it, yeah. but we know that he is. Yeah. And like right now with school, okay, we have 27 kids in high school. It costs about $1,200 a year per student um, to send them to high school. Now in January, we're going to have 56 kids in high school. Now how are we going to pay for that? I don't know, <laughs> but God's got it figured out. I know he does. He's got it figured out. And it's a lesson we keep learning. We keep exactly. taking steps and walk. It's a walk of faith for a reason because we take step after step, trusting him with each one of those thing. moments. When we feel inadequate, we say, okay, God, exactly. we got to trust you. Exactly. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So um, how, how can we pray for you? How can we be praying for you and for the ministry? Well, obviously the high school kids. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been blessed. We haven't had one case of COVID on campus not one. And we have all these employees coming and going and living in the village with not a lot of sanitation. And so um, that's, a, that's a miracle in itself. It really is. And um, so pray that that hedge of protection continues, of course. Um, I appreciate prayers for mine and Jeff's health, especially Jeff right now. Um, it's not anything horrible, but something's just... So we found him a doctor in Nairobi. He'll be going soon. Um, And then, of course, just general day-to-day safety and protection. We have elections coming up, um, which can be kind of touch and go. You never know if it's going to be a peaceful election or not. So um, that's coming up August 9th. So, yeah, there's always stuff to pray for for us. Cool. Well, here's the deal. Uh, we'd love to pray for you as Thank a church. You. And uh, after the service, Carla's going to be out in the lobby, by the way. If you'd like to talk with her or um, just hear more about the ministry, she'll be available in the lobby. But we'd love to pray for you right now, okay? Thank you. Let's pray for her, church. God, we are grateful for Carla and Jeff, and we're thankful for how they responded in simple faith by showing up, by seeing a need, and just responding, not knowing the full picture, but trusting in you. And God, it's amazing to see how over the course of these years you have multiplied that and how you've used them in this ministry to reach hundreds and hundreds of kids. 
And so, God, we're grateful for that. And we pray right now for their strength. We pray for the physical health of Jeff and Carla. Pray for wisdom as they continue to lead and guide in the school and the, with the children's home, the ministry, the employees. Um, God, care for them, protect them, and use them, God, to continue to do a multiplying work. God, we pray for these kids who are growing up and they're learning about you and knowing your word and they're graduating out, God, that you would use them to impact the community, use them to impact that country, use them to impact the world. Lord, we know that you can do that and you continue to do a work. We, we thank you for that. We bless you in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> We're going to close out in a song of worship, but just know this, that God wants to, he invites you to be a part of uh, ministry, to serving others. He invites you to bring what you have to, so he could use what you have to bless others, but also increases and grows your faith as well. Let's take this time and let's, let's worship together.